0: Anything but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Thanks for joining us today. This is the Hour of Intercession. I'm Pastor Joseph Parker. We invite you to look with us to begin with in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see, and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, "'Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last.'" I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things which will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angel of the seven churches And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Verses 1 through 20, Revelation chapter 1. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the wisdom, the grace, the power, the revelation, the insight, the understanding that flows into our hearts and our lives as we listen to your word and read and meditate on it. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that by your grace, Lord, that we never walk alone, you let us know, never will I leave you nor forsake you, so we never walk alone, we never stand alone, but your presence goes mightily with us. Lord, empower us more and more to be the faithful hearers and doers of your word you've called us to be, anoint us afresh with the spirit of prayer, the spirit of praise, worship, and thanksgiving, and help us to walk in these the wisdom of these. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Hour of Intercession. Again, I'm Pastor Joseph Parker, our producer, Is Isaac Jackson. And uh, as we normally do, uh, once again, my email is joseph at AFR.net. Again, that's joseph at AFR.net. As we share articles, our encouragement is that you'll email us and let us know you want to get a copy because we want you to have it for your own personal growth, for the use in the discipling of your family, and a tool to share to forward with others by way of Internet and email. Forward to others, fellow church members, uh, fellow workers, saved and unsaved persons, extended family members, etc. This first article is entitled, An Attitude of Gratitude is Its Own Reward. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Why is it so important to give thanks to God in the good times and the bad in our lives? in the sunshine and in the rain. Well, one reason is that life is a gift. Another reason is thanksgiving and praise are powerful weapons that help you to be an overcomer and winner in life. See 1st John chapter 5 verse 4. This is true no matter what the obstacles or trials you face. Allow me to share a tremendous illustration of this reality. Francis had what many would consider a tough, tragic and troubled life. A doctor's error left her at six weeks of age with lifelong blindness. Her father passed away when she was very young. She was raised by her mother and grandmother. Many in today's world would believe Francis had plenty of reasons to be unhappy, depressed, and without hope. However, in her autobiography, Francis June Crosby chose to write these amazing words. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for the dispensation. The doctor who had made the mistake later moved away. However, Francis wrote, If I could meet him now, I would say thank you, thank you, over and over again for making me blind. Though many may conclude that living a life with blindness would be a sad, disappointing life, Francis considered it to be one of her greatest blessings. She considered her blindness to be a gift from God. She said, I could not have written thousands of hymns if I had been hindered by the distractions of seeing all the interesting and beautiful objects that would have been presented to my notice. By the way, many know Francis June Crosby so much better by the name Fanny Crosby, the great hymn and songwriter. Fanny Crosby blessed the church and the world with many songs that include Blessed Assurance, To God Be the Glory redeemed, all the way my Savior leads me and many, many others. She is a tremendous example of one who lived with a grateful spirit and with an attitude of gratitude. Having this attitude was a great blessing to her, and she in turn continues to be a great blessing to the church and to the world, though she's long gone to heaven. Make it your goal to thank God in all circumstances For even in tough times, God really does run our cups over in blessing us in so many ways. See Psalm 23, verse 5. Take time to thank and praise Him for His goodness. Don't focus on the negative things in life. Focus on the blessings. It will change your whole outlook on life. Also, being grateful to God for His goodness will stir up joy. Be mindful, too, that being genuinely grateful makes you instantly rich In the truest sense of the word, ask God to anoint you today with a spirit of praise and gratitude. Instead of complaining about the rain, thank God for watering his beautiful world for free. Instead of complaining about not feeling well, thank God you are alive. Instead of complaining about having to clean your house, thank God that you have a home to live in. Instead of being impatient with family members, thank God for the gift. Each of your loved ones are to you and to the world. Instead of complaining about your job, thank God that you have a job and an income. Instead of complaining about the world, thank God for the opportunity to pray and help change the world to be a better place. Give thanks in all things. And do remember this, being a genuinely grateful person will bless you tremendously. Crosby lived out both the literal and biblical meaning of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7. But by doing so obediently, she became an example of Colossians 3:23 and gave her praise to God for thousands of tongues to sing. Praise and thank God daily and often throughout the day. Living life with an attitude of gratitude really is its own reward. Again, the title of that article An attitude of gratitude is its own reward. Again, an attitude of gratitude is its own reward. Hope that you'll find that and be mindful of that truth. Uh, We're going to at least start on this next article. Not sure that we'll finish it, but uh, we'll see. Uh, The title of the second article is God's Word, Politics, and Discernment. Again, God's Word, Politics, and Discernment. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, Psalm 119, verse 105. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Then Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10. Then Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Then Hebrews four twelve. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and, in, and intentions of the heart. Again, Hebrews 4.12. Present-day political races are not about being a Democrat or Republican. It's not about left or right. It's not about conservative or liberal. And it's not about being racist or not racist. It's about good or evil. It's about what is right or what is wrong. It's about what lines up most closely to the Word of God or what, in greatest measure, goes against the Word of God. One, one may ask, well, if these issues are true, how can you have people who say they love the Lord on both sides of the political aisle? How can, quote-unquote, believers be on both sides of the present-day political picture? One critical word that helps us see and understand matters what matters and what is truly correct, that important word is discernment. Specifically, biblical discernment is what we're speaking of. What does God's Word have to say about the cultural issues that guide people in their thinking and their perspectives? And what are the cultural issues that help people to decide who they will support and vote for? The reality is so many believers have not sought or diligently determined what lines up most closely with God's Word many have not bothered to do their due diligence to find out and really research the issues in relation to the counsel of God's word the truth is many quote unquote believers are spiritually dull they really have no great commitment to finding out what honors god and what does not many simply go with the flow of the crowd they run in how then how then have many decided on who they will vote for and how they'll vote sadly Many have this determination, not by prayer and the study of the Word of God in relation to issues, but have made their decisions based on personal preferences, their family, traditional political persuasions, their community's norms and perspectives, etc. Some even decide on whims and feelings. We'll pick up on the other side. Again, that, title, that article is entitled, God's Word, Politics and Discernment. We'll be right back. Fred Hammond with You Are the Living Word. Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession here on American Family Radio. On the other side of the break, we were sharing from an article entitled God's Word, Politics, and Discernment. We pick up with that same article now. One critical word that helps us see and understand uh, matters correctly is discernment, specifically biblical discernment. What does God's Word have to say about the critical issues that guide people in their thinking and in their perspectives? And what are the cultural issues that help people to decide who they will support and vote for? The reality is, so many believers have not sought to diligently determine what lines up most closely with God's Word. Many have not bothered to do their due diligence to find out and really research the issues in relation to the counsel of God's Word. The truth is... Many quote-unquote believers are spiritually dull. They really have no great commitment to finding out what honors God and what does not. Many simply go with the flow of the crowd they run in. How then have many decided on how they wish to vote and for what they wish to vote? Sadly, many have made determinations not by prayer and the study of the Word of God in relation to issues, but have made their decisions based on their personal preferences their family traditional political persuasions, their community's norms and perspectives, etc. Some even even decide on whims and feelings. Sadly, some people vote for extremely shallow reasons. I don't like his looks. I don't like his personality. I don't like her wardrobe. These and other silly reasons. In reality, for too many, the Word of God has little to do excuse me, the Word of God has little to no influence in their decision-making. How tragic. It is for these and other related reasons that some people who say they love God will find themselves on the completely wrong side of issues biblically. They find themselves acting and voting against the Word and the will of God too often. A true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ is to be guided by the Word of God, period. Everything is to begin and end with the Word of God in all of life. No other allegiance is to come before his or her commitment to Christ and God's Word. In the matter of lining up to support an issue or a candidate, it's the responsibility of a follower of Christ to find out what God's Word says about the matter. Once this person knows what the Word of God says about a given issue, this individual should decide where he or she stands so as to stand aligned with the Word of God. For the true follower of Christ, the Word of God always is the bottom line. Always. There are no perfect candidates running for any office in our nation. The only perfect man is Jesus, and He's not running for office. He is God, and we don't vote on that office. So a wise and God-honoring strategy for voting is to look at the person's character as best you can. Look at what that person stands for. Find out the party platform that this individual supports and lines up with. Also, look at his or her track record or history and see what this person has done in the past and observe what the candidate is doing today. Know, too, that a person's vote is a seed. It's a tool to help accomplish a given task. So how we each vote is actually very, very important. When we vote for a person, we're seeking to help When we vote for a person, we're seeking to help that person come into a position of leadership, a position of influence that can affect the lives of many people. So whoever we vote for, we're taking responsibility for helping that person to do what he or she seeks or will seek to do. In other words, we take part responsibility for what that person does in office once they vote, once we vote him or her into that office and that person receives that office. So, as you vote for candidates in any given election, ask yourself this question. Am I supporting and helping a person who seeks to honor God in the way they will govern in office? Or am I going to be an accomplice to a crime or wicked actions and activity? We are each wise to take the Word of God in evaluating the candidate, their lives, and what they stand for. God's Word is the bottom line. Again, the title of that article is God's Word, Politics, and Discernment. Again, if you'd like to get a copy, simply email us, joseph at afr.net. Again, that's joseph at afr.net. This and the earlier uh, article that we read as well. We pick up now reading through the Word of God, looking in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. The ark of the Lord remained in Philistine territory seven months in all. Then the Philistines called in their priests and diviners and asked them, What should we do about the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own country. Send the ark of God of Israel back with a gift, they were told. Send a guilt offering so the plague will stop. Then, if you are healed, you will know it was his hand that caused the plague." "'What sort of guilt offering should we send?' they asked. And they were told, "'Since the plague has struck both you and your five rulers, "'make five gold tumors and five gold rats, "'just like those that have ravaged your land. "'Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. "'Perhaps then he will stop afflicting you, "'your gods and your land.'" Don't be stubborn and rebellious as Pharaoh and the Egyptians were. By the time God was finished with them, they were eager to let Israel go. Now build a new cart and find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and beside it put a chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors you are sending as a gift offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh, we will know that it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we will know that it was not his hand that caused the plague, it simply it came simply by chance. So these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. When the ark of the excuse me, when the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. Excuse me, then the ark of the cart. Excuse me, then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, without veering off in other directions, the cows went straight along the road toward Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. The Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley. And when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The cart came into the field of a man named Joshua and stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart, and placed them on the large rock. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. The five Philistine rulers watched all this and then returned to Ekron that same day. The five gold tumors sent by the Philistines as a guilt offering to the Lord were gifts from the rulers of Ashdod, Gaza, and Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The five gold rats represented the five Philistine towns and their surrounding villages, which were controlled by the five rulers. The large rock at Beth Shemesh, where they set the Ark of the Lord, still stands in the field of Joshua as a witness to what happened there. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh, because they looked into the ark of the Lord. And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? They cried out. Where can we send the ark from here? So they sent messengers to the people of kiriath Jerem, and told them, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come here and get it. 1 Samuel chapter 7 So the men of kiriath Jeiram came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained and ordained Eliezer, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in kiriath Jeiram for a long time, 20 years in all. During that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, Gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah in a great ceremony, drew water from a well, and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day, and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord." It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord, our God, to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord, as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah, to a place below Beth-kar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. The Israelite villages near Ekron and Gath that the the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days." Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year he traveled around, setting up his court first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, and then at Mizpah. He judged the people of Israel at each of these places. Then he would return to his Then he would, would return to his home at Ramah, and he would hear cases there too. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord At Ramah. Chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba, but they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Verses 1 through 11, 1 Samuel chapter 8. You're listening to the Hour of Intercession as we're reading through the Word of God. We'll be back. that day comes, and I find myself standing in the sun, I can only imagine. Music of Mercy and Me I with I Can Only Imagine. Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession here on American Family Radio. Continue reading through the Word of God now as we pick up in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose hope port was Adramitrium, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course so we sailed north to Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. We had several days of slow sailing, And after great difficulty, we finally neared Nidus. But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmone. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall, and Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner owner, than to Paul. And since, Fairhaven was an, excuse me, and since Fairhaven was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light, bin, when a, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island called Kada, where, with great difficulty, we hoisted we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of, S- of Sirtis off the African coast, so they lowered the seat so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale-force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last... All hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line, they dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, They measured again and found it was only 90 feet, 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. So you've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, They didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudder. They lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. Acts chapter 28. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice, justice, Will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed three days. From there we sailed across the Regium. A day later, a south wind began blowing. So the following day we sailed up the coast to Puteoli. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us At the three taverns, when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. When when we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Verses 1 through 16, Acts chapter 28. You've been listening to the the hour of intercession as we've been reading through the Word of God and as we normally do before we end the broadcast. If you're listening today and you have never made the eternally critically important decision of inviting Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to become the Lord and Savior of your life, today is a good day, a great day to make that eternally important decision. Would you now from your heart pray this prayer and fully commit your heart and life to the Lord and be saved and receive Him? Simply pray this prayer with me from your heart, if you would. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so very much that you came into this world a long time ago. You lived. You died on the cross to pay for all our sins. Three days later, you rose up from the dead so that I could be saved. Lord, I confess I've sinned and done wrong in many, many Lord, I repent and I turn from all the wrong I've done. Forgive me, Lord, for all the wrong things I've done. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. In your word you told us, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, Lord, I'm calling on your name Lord, save me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Once again, my email is joseph at afr.net. Again, that's joseph at afr.net. We definitely would like to hear from you. If you did pray and receive Christ, we want to share with you some literature and resources that will help you to begin to grow up and grow strong in your new walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Please email us again, my email, joseph at AFR.net. Again, that's joseph at AFR.net. Same email if you wanted to get copies of the articles we shared. Again, the two article titles were An Attitude of Gratitude is Its Own Reward, the first article. And the second article, God's Word, Politics, and Discernment. We'd be glad to send one or both Copies to you. Again, my email, Joseph at AFR.net. Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession. Please pray much for this ministry and the American Family Association. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.